Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Sinister Ideas Podcast. My name is Danny Thompson, and I am the left-handed writer. And, uh, yeah, today is an episode, and I'm going in, um, got a bit of a plan, but it's not fully fleshed. Um, trying to decide whether to call this Sinister Ideas on education, or learning, or memory, because I want to talk about all three. Eventually, I'd probably like to have... Uh, separate podcast on each of those, and I'm trying to decide which one to do first to make it more interesting and accessible to you guys. Um, you know what? Let's do this. This one will be Sinister Ideas on Education, Learning, and Memory, um, because they are three separate things. And yeah, and then we'll build this into a series where in the future we'll do one on education, one on learning, and one on memory. Um, now, the whole idea of the Sinister Ideas podcast is because I tend to approach every situation with uh, a mixture of left brain and right brain, so um, I go into everything with curiosity, and then I uncover ideas, and to those I apply um, critique and analysis on one hand, and creativity and logic on the other hand, and... It allows me to go in with an open mind to any source material because I have the tools at hand to evaluate it and compare it with other source material um, and try to arrive at um, the truth or at least a version of the truth that I can use that's still rooted in reality. And I think that that is missing in a lot of places today. So, let's get started with Sinister Ideas on Education, Learning, and Memory. The the advice most people are given is go to school, um, get good grades, get a degree, then get a good job, and then live a good life. The problem there is that a lot of people don't understand the actual history of the U.S. education system, um, and actually the modern Western education system that's pretty much conquered the entire globe by now. And the biggest problem, and I know this is probably going to sound like a conspiracy theory, but it's not. You can actually look up the man who designed the U.S. educational system. Um, His name is Horace Mann. And he's a really interesting dude. And his, his core message, his core philosophy, which he spoke about often out in public, was that education is the best way to take unruly children and make them into obedient citizens. Now, that's paraphrasing, but that's literally the core of his message is we need to have schools mandatory for everybody so that we can take these wild, unruly children and turn them into obedient factory workers. Um, That was literally um, his entire point when he set about designing the system. And if you look at it, if you look at the way factories were designed in the late late 1800s into the early 1900s, You had a factory floor, 
people had their workstations and they were laid out in a grid pattern. So you were at, you know, sitting in a chair at a desk in rows. The foreman's desk was at the front of the factory floor. So you keep an eye on everybody. And everybody, the whistle blew or the bell rang. And that's how you know your shift started. You sat down. You did all the tasks that you were supposed to do. Most of them were very repetitive. Um, and you did it under the watchful eye of the shop foreman. Um, he would give you your, your assignments for the day. And you would go through and you would make those products. And then you know, at the end of the week you would collect your pay. Now you knew that your shift was over because again the bell would ring or the whistle would sound. Um, and then you go home. And so he designed schools in that same fashion. The bell rings to let you know the school day starts. You come into the classroom, you sit at your desks in rows arranged in the grid with the teacher's desk at the front of the class. The teacher gives you your assignments. You dutifully complete those assignments. And yeah, at the end of the week or whatever, you take your test and you get your grade. The entire system was designed to condition people to work in factories, especially children. Um, now, this wasn't all entirely just to, you know, program factory automatons, although that was a large part of it. Um, he wanted a moderately literate workforce that could follow rules in the form of simple written instructions. Um, he actually discouraged the idea of producing thoughtful, insightful, creative people. The entire idea of school was to go in and make people obedient so they could sit down, do their assigned tasks, and produce goods for the factory, which would produce money for the company, which would produce um, growth for the country. Uh, now, the second reason he did this is the factories were coming in and they were buying up huge chunks of farmland um, because that part, most of the country, most of the men actually worked farms. They were manual laborers working on farms, um, growing the food people eat. So these companies move in, buy these huge swaths of perfectly good farmland, build their factories, and then because children and women were worthless, they could hire women and children in factories for cheaper. Well, Horace Mann decided, well, look, if we make education mandatory so that every child has to go to school, and then we set it up, and we recruit women to teach, because women are nurturers and they are better suited to dealing with children all day, then that frees up factory jobs for the men who have been displaced as farmers when the... When the uh, factories came in and bought up all this land. So he was trying to solve a problem of so many men being out of work. Um, he was trying to create what he called um, good Republican citizenry, a smaller Republican, you know, people who lived in the Republic and worked for the good of the Republic. And also by bringing students in and pitting them against their peers for you know the you know to be the head of the class or the best student or the valedictorian um, 
you got people in the mindset of comparing themselves against others. Um, and the result of that is, hey, I may not have, you may have better grades than me, but I've got better clothes than you do. I can afford better shoes. And so it actually built the consumer mindset that actually drove the economy that made America the one of the wealthiest, strongest nations in the world. So you can't discount the positive impacts globally that Horace Mann had on the country. Um, and it's a model that was based off of Prussian military academies that he saw when he toured Europe, looking at the way their education systems were set up. But the way he laid it out and designed it uh, really took off and pretty much took over the world. If you go to any classroom anywhere in the world, you're going to see desks arranged in a row with the teacher's desk at the head of the class. Uh, Classes start with the bell rings um, and people are jockeying for that top position in the class. They're doing repetitive tasks for a reward. Um, The biggest problem now is that most of those factory jobs are automated. And the more people build new factories, the more they try to, to automate as many processes as possible because a robot is cheaper than a human. Uh, They can work longer hours and they don't get sick. (laughs) Not usually. Um, Not in the same way that people get sick. So the world economy has moved on. We're no longer living in an industrial age. It's not that there aren't industrial jobs out there and that industrial production is not important. But as far as jobs for living, breathing human beings, those are shrinking and they're only going to get fewer and farther between as uh, technology advances. Why is this a problem? Because schools, um, even though some of the teaching methods have have tried to change, teachers are trying to do a good job of creating good students, but they're doing it inside a machine that has specifically been designed to drum out curiosity, to drum out creativity, to drum out individuality. So, I don't know, I've described it before, um, not on a podcast, I don't think, but you can't solve the problem by fixing education. Because education is doing exactly what it was designed to do. You can't, you can't fix a flashlight so that it spouts out water like a water fountain. The flashlight's not broken, that's just not what it was designed to do. Um, Now, education has been so inextricably inextricably linked to politics and state and federal government, and such a massive bureaucracy has been built up around it that... uh, a practical problem is it can't pivot to teach the new things that businesses need in the workers that they're trying to hire. And second of all, at this point, education pretty much exists to support the bureaucracy that has built up around it. So because of the money and the political power and the pride that's involved, you're not going to be able to change it. So we just have to endure it. So 
Man, I'm saying so a lot, aren't I? <laughs> so here's, here's the problem where we are. Education is doing exactly what it's designed to do. It's just not what we need it to do anymore. So now the onus is going to be on each of us to be responsible for our own education. And this isn't anything new. This is the way that education was designed from the beginning. Um, so all of us have gone through this. And you know, some of us had more challenges with it than others. Um, you know, people say that you know, there's no correlation between uh, good grades in school and financial success um, when you get out into the real world. And while that is true, it's also missing the point. People who make straight A's in school end up going to have lifelong careers where they go to work and they do what they're told. They tend to not, not necessarily be happy, but you know, they are doing now exactly what they were trained to do in the 12 years they were in the public education system or even the private education system. What business community is saying that it needs now is people who can A, work independently, B, they have critical thinking skills and creativity that they can bring to solve problems. C, they can be given a mass of data, read through that data, pull out the, the important points, and then use those points to make something new. Um, that requires skills that are explicitly being drummed out of kids by the way that the modern education system is set up. It's a factory for producing factory workers, so um, it can't be expected to produce um, independent creative thinkers who can analyze and create and still manage to collaborate and work well with others. That's another thing that companies are saying that they need. Um, so what do we do about that? Well, as I alluded to before, we have to be responsible for uh, our own and our children's ability to explore their own curiosity, determine for themselves the things they want to do, how to apply analysis, critique, creativity, and logic to any information, and use that to create something new and innovative. Uh, because that's what employers are looking for all across the board. Except for maybe the few who still have a couple of people working in the factory. Um, so, I think we'll take a break here and then we will start segment two and we will talk about uh, learning, the, the process of learning itself separated from the educational system. So. Sit tight. I know this is probably enthralling to everybody, and uh, uh, we'll come back in a minute. And welcome back to segment two. Uh, so, I give you a brief overview of the 
problems that um, the modern education system has created. So now let's talk about learning as you know as, as a topic divorced from um, institutionalized education. So there are three basic steps to the learning process. Um, formally, they're called acquisition, memorization, and utilization. But basically, you need to be able to find and evaluate the information. You need to be able to um, prime the information for immediate recall whenever and wherever you need it. And then you need to be able to do something with that information, something new. Um, For years, the education system was focused more on memorization than anything else. And by years, I mean hundreds of years. Um, But primarily, from the late 1800s on, as the... As the... uh, you know, from the birth of the modern education system, you know, Horace Mann and all of his uh, work that he did. <clears throat> um, and the idea there was to uh, basically fill everyone with the same base knowledge of facts um, because those facts are what we base our beliefs on. And if everyone, share, if everyone has the same facts, then we pretty much have the same common base of knowledge and the same beliefs so it unites us as a people um, you know, which is all well and good that's fine but then starting in the full force in the 70s um, and then into the 80s you had this idea of um, you know me- just memorizing facts is not learning which is true um, you, know, you can know something, be able to repeat it, and still not understand it. So, they said, we're going to move away from memorization, and we're going to go into process learning. We're going to teach people how to use the information that they encounter. Which is all well and good. Uh, that's the utilization part, and that's important. The problem is, they moved complete 180 degrees from memorization is in they discounted it completely. You know, we're going to teach you the process for how to use the information. But we're not going to teach you how to hold on to the information. The problem there is if you can't hold complex concepts in your head for an extended period of time, then you can't on your own time and at your own leisure spend time processing that information inside your own head. Um, and when you do that, learning is tied to a book, right? So you open the book, you have the information, you use the algorithms or processes or whatever it is that you're being taught and how to process this data to process the data into the result that they want you to produce. Um, now, this is still simply preparing people to work in factories. Here's your input. Here's your expected output. Do it. Right? Um, the problem there also is you have to have the book to be able to do that. If you can't memorize the information, if you can't hold the information in your head, then you have to have that book in front of you. You have to be looking at the information because 
we'll get more into this into the actual memorization uh, stuff. But you know, tests have shown that the human, the average human mind, can only hold seven pieces of information in short-term memory um, for more than an hour. If you give someone seven, if you give a group of people seven pieces of information. Half of them will be able to recall those seven bits of information after an hour. Now, interesting here is there is an inverse relationship between the number of things you try to teach them and what they can actually recall after an hour. So if you give the group of people five things to recall, more people will be able to recall all five of those things. But if you give people ten things to, re- to remember then you know, after an hour, half of them aren't going to remember seven. Half of them will probably maybe remember five. If you give them a list of 20 things to remember, you know, all that is competing for space in the uh, short-term memory, which can't handle it, and you end up maybe getting you know, three or four. So, and that's just the way the brain works. Um naturally okay so in order to use this process you have to um, have the information in front of you now the only way to get people to uh, be able to readily use this process is they have to memorize the process so you're still using rote memorization where you're, you're repeating the process over and over and over that's why you do worksheets that's why you do homework um, because you're using that same process over and over and over on different sets of data so that um, the process literally gets programmed into your brain so that um, when you receive this kind of information, you know, okay, well, I'll just run it through this process, through this algorithm, and here's the result I produce. problem is if you don't have the book um, and you don't know how to find the information on your own then that process does you no good so what we have to be able to do is um, find the information quickly commit it to memory and then be able to do something with it alright so quickest thing to do there is, well, I mean, there's there's a thing called mn- mnemonic memory. Um, and it was you know, handed down, you know, the earliest reports we have it are from the Greek, although there are allusions to it in uh, Egyptian um, um, culture. And then before that, um, you know, the fact that in Babylon you have cuneiform writing, which is, you know, the weird lines and triangles that were pressed into clay tablets. Um, there's a specific class of people called scribes who you know, who produce those clay tablets. Um, so you gave them the information, they wrote it down um, on the tablets, and then those tablets were stored in a warehouse, you know, a, basically a, a record-keeping office. So most people you know, were not literate. Through most of history, up through probably the 15 to 1600s, 
the majority of people on the planet never knew how to read. Um, but they did know how to memorize things because memorizing things was easy. Um, basically, the underlying principle is, and we'll do a whole thing on memory later, um, like I said, but you can take, you can recall any new information by associating it to something you can already recall on command by the use of, a, of an absurd image. So one of the most well-known forms of this is the loci method where you have your house and you have the first thing you need to remember um, so you create a silly image linking that thing, whatever it is to the front door of your house All right. the second thing you need to remember you create a um, absurd image linking that to whatever that first entrance room into your house is for your uh, entryway um, front hall, whatever Right? And then you just take a tour around your house and place mental images for those specific things you're trying to remember in each room. So, and, you know, remember this has to be absurd. In order to make it memorable, it has to be absurd, right? Because anything that's expected or ordinary is easily forgotten. That's why... You know, when ordinary things happen, we don't call them memorable. In fact, most of the things that happen that are part of your routine throughout the day, you don't remember. Right? You probably know that you brushed your teeth this morning. You probably don't remember actually anything that happened while you were doing it because you do it every day, hopefully. <laughs> um, but so anyway, this is one technique called the loci method because loci is Greek for place. And so you're literally placing information in your house. Now, later on, when you want to call that information, you just take a mental walk through your house. All right, the thing on my, on my door was the first thing I need to remember. The second thing is in the hall. Third is in the dining room. Fourth is in the kitchen. Fifth is in the den. You know, whatever that path through your house is, that's how you remember things. Um, and it really is that easy. If, if you can use your imagination, if you can imagine a purple elephant riding a tricycle... You have everything you need to be able to instantly memorize any information that you see, hear, or read. Anything. Um, I mentioned in a previous podcast that you know regularly I will go through and I will memorize an entire book in a single sitting. There's a specific way I do that. I don't do that with fiction works that I read for pleasure. Um, because you know I like to take my time. I like to get lost in a good novel. Um, now I do tend to speed read sometimes so I can read faster than a lot of people but you know, that's different <clears throat> um, but that is actually part you know, being able to speed read is part of improving the acquisition process the getting the knowledge the faster you can bring knowledge into your head and instantly memorize it the faster you can get to using it to produce something new um, and that is the key to um, a self-prompted education or learning um, about whatever it is you need to learn to do whatever it is you need to do. And so then we get to utilization. And utilization, you know, or using the information scares people. I don't know what to do with it. Um, 
it actually doesn't matter what you do with it. It's just that you do something with it. You need to use your brain to process the information um, in order to uh, basically take ownership of that information. Um, this is easy to ask four questions. First is, what is this? Second is, what is it? how is it like something that I already understand and how is it different? Second question is, what if, and that could literally be anything, I like... What if this was found by an alien an alien archaeologist a million years in the future, and this is all they had to form their understanding of humanity on? What would they think? All right, kind of long, but you know, just remember, alien finds it. What do they think about it? You know, what do they think of us when they find this? And the last question is. If this is true, what else has to be true? And if it's not, what does that mean? So that's four questions. What is it? How is it like something I already understand? What if an alien found this a million years in the future? What would they think of humanity? And if this is true, what else must be true? And if it's not, what does that mean? These four questions are the fundamental starting points of analysis, what is this? Critique, how is this like something I already know? Creativity, what if? Literally anything, you're smashing two ideas and seeing what happens. And then logic. If this is true, what else must be true? If then is the fundamental logic statement. If this, then that. So, if this is true, what else must be true? If it's not, what does that mean? Now, asking the logic question that way forces you to question your own assumptions. You can't just assume something is true. If it is true, what are the implications? If it's not true, what are the implications? So those four questions also activate four different areas of the brain. So you're actively processing the new data that you've just memorized with four separate areas of the brain building new neural connections to that information, helping lock it in place and making it easier to access from, for lack of a better phrase, different directions. So, if you really want to get serious about educating yourself and mastering your own um, learning for whatever those purposes might be, this is the way to do it without having to rely on a teacher on, to tell you what you need to learn, when you need to learn it, how you need to learn it, and what you need to do with it. I mean, this is a self, uh, this is a true system for self-guided learning that you can take as deep as you want to. But look at those four questions are the starting point. That loci method for memory is a starting point. All right. Um, for acquisition, right now, everybody has a cell phone. You have Google. You ask, you know, the simplest way to start learning something is go to Google and say, what is blank? Um, get simpler than that. Go, whatever the topic is, Wikipedia. Um, you know, people give Wikipedia a hard time because it's, you know, it, anybody can, not, well, quote unquote, anybody can edit it. Um, which both is and isn't true. Um, but um, there are enough people out there who are devoted to 
preserving specific aspects of knowledge, that most of it is pretty good. In fact, the scientific journal Nature did a study on you know the biologically related Wikipedia articles and found that not only was the information accurate, but it was more accurate than the Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, you know, there are fewer errors and fewer outdated pieces of information. Um, plus, one thing Wikipedia does is it provides a list of sources for, you know, in order to make a claim, that claim has to be backed up by sources. And if it's not, other editors will come in and say, hey, we need citations uh, that prove that this is a fact. So you will see stuff that's listed in there, and someone will say, is this really true? So you know that you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt, um, which is something that you never see in the Cyclopedia Britannica. But then it also prov- provides the list of citations for the source material that went into the making of that article. So now you have not only a pretty good basic understanding of what that is, but you have links to sources that you can use to deepen that understanding. So um, Wikipedia really is a good place to start. Um, you know, can it be edited by almost anyone? Yes. Um, you know, are there other people looking out for that information to make sure it's accurate? Usually, um, if it's a you know, modestly uh, popular topic, with at least some cross-section of humanity, uh, there are people that would be looking out to make sure, uh, you know, looking out for the integrity of the work. So, it's a good place to get a good base knowledge, and then it's a good place to start to expand that knowledge to learn more. So, um, you know, we'll start there with acquisition. To memorize it, use, and the more absurd the better, Um, Use absurd images with something you can readily recall, like your house or your parents' house. Any house that you learn, any any house you know well enough to take a mental trip in your mind, is a potential storehouse for information you want to memorize. Now, you will need to review it. Um, you you, You memorize it. You review the list immediately after you memorize it. Then... You do it again after one to two hours, once before bed, and then you get progressively longer with your reviews um, for as long as you need to work on having that information accessible. So then you do two days, and then you go a week, and then you go two weeks, and then you review it once a month or whatever, as long as you need. So um, now in those reviews, yeah, I'd, I'd probably do the first two reviews, you know, the one immediately after and the one after like an hour or two. Just, you know, review those images. And it happens at the speed of thought, so it's really quick. It's quicker than it would be actually reading it, you know, rereading it, the text that you memorized it from, or re-listening to the lecture. Because it's literally just front door image idea, foyer image idea, dining room image idea. Um, but starting that night before bed, when you go to do your review... Um, go ahead and start incorporating the four questions. You know, you review you know, the information. You walk through your house, and you take the whole of that information, and you say, all right, what is this? If you can quickly, succinctly answer that question, 
then you have a good basic understanding of what that is. Right. How is this like something that I already understand? Well, now you're building an analogy um, and you look at that analogy. Um, you know, how is this like baseball? How is this like an internal combustion engine? How is this like cooking a souffle? How is this like you know, or baking a pie? Or how is this like baseball? Or how is this like anything that you know how to do? You know, how does this relate to that? You know, how is this like the human circulatory system? It could be anything. Um, just try to build an analogy between how this works and how something you already know works. Um, again, this is a way of processing information um, in terms of something you already understand to help you gain a better understanding. So, um, yeah, ask the four questions. And then the next one, you ask the four questions of each of those points. So front door, idea, what is this? How is this like something I already understand? What if and if then? Um, if you do this, then you are, you know, yes, I've tricked you into studying. Um, but if you can't answer those questions, then A, you know um, whether or not you understand it. And if you don't, you know where to start. Go find the answer to that question. So, all right. So I think we'll stop now. I'm actually a little bit late for work. So, uh, yeah, we'll wrap this up here. And in the next episode... Um, we will talk about, yeah, let's tackle memory. That's always a fun one. So, all right. Talk to you later.